Hey everyone, welcome to the Brown History Podcast. This is episode 4. My name is Essen, and on today's episode, we have a special guest. We have Samir from the band Young the Giant. If you don't know Young the Giant, definitely check them out. They're a sick band. Samir, he's a very intelligent, very smart guy, very cool guy. He's a Patreon member of Brown History. He's very supportive. He really, really cares about the culture, about the people, about the history. It's very important to him. In fact, he has his own podcast called Point of Origin, which I highly recommend you check out. It's on Pandora. His podcast is about tearing down the white narrative of alternative music and he really goes in deep into that. It's very, very educative. We talk about that and we talk about a lot of different things. We're all over the place. It's a fun, it's a fun episode and I hope you really enjoy it. So enough chit chat. Let's get this started. Hey man. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? This is so cool. This is very surreal. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I remember, I remember when I was in university your song would come on the radio, Cough Syrup, and it was such a huge, popular song. But I never knew, I never imagined that it would be a brown guy singing that song. Because because that space, that kind of music was dominated by, by white people. You had like um, Mumford & Sons. You had like, uh, I don't know, Cage the Elephant. You also had a band called uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, which yeah. turned out to be just four white guys, I think. The drummer's Indian. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm the master of knowing who's Indian in which band. <laughs> yeah. And now here I am talking to you. So it's like a full circle thing. I don't, I don't know if I want to get straight to it, but like, what was it like being brown in that kind of space? That's, it's kind of, you know, what you even said externally is a lot of people didn't know I was brown. Um, and in a space where music, um, you know, was once thought to be quote unquote faceless. And I lived in an alternative genre, which is thought to be quote unquote white boy music. Yeah. It was kind of a, it's kind of a weird identity trip for me because um, I realized that sometimes I've almost tried traversed through get, getting success through like not being like people not associating brownness or otherness with me, even though that was, very much a part of who I am and a very big part of the narrative of what Young the Giant is or like when I write music. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, exactly like what you were saying with, it's pretty funny. Like most people thought I was just like a white British guy when they first heard me. Um, and then I started to kind of like pick that apart a little bit. Um, and it's kind of surprising that a lot of people still don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, through this show point of origin, is that I want to show that it's not, you know, obviously there are great musicians who are white in the alternative space, but there are tons of amazing, like diverse musicians from like all cultural black backgrounds who have been involved in alternative music since like the beginning of the genre. Um, it's kind of, you know, it was, it was hugely important to me. Um, I listened to uh, your podcast, two episodes. It's pretty good. I kept uh, adding music to my playlists. I watched <laughs> the documentary. Uh, it's so much knowledge all at once. It's really, you got to like really pause and really got to like, okay, I'm going to need to listen to this song. I got to figure out who this is. You talk about a lot about how musicians are influenced by a bunch of other musicians who are also influenced by other musicians. But where do you, where do you draw the line where it's like, okay, this, this person stole or ripped off this other person? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a very fine line. I don't even know if I can really even answer that anymore. Have you been uh, accused of ripping someone off or I not no, we've never been 
in uh, in a lawsuit. But you know, a lot of people will say that being sued for music is the, one of the finest forms of flattery that you could achieve in musicianship and songwriting ship. Um, and you know, for a long time, you know, it's a very um, old school adage. You know, John Lennon would say, you know, good art artists borrow, great artists steal. And um, I think he meant that in a lot of ways, it's just like the general shared collaborative feeling of music that I think a lot of musicians who you talk to and creatives in general, they're channeling something. They're like it's a creative channeling that's happening. And it's, it's a very subconscious thing about what you're influenced by. You know, sometimes people are just influenced by colors, um, films. I'm in- influenced by books like stories, mythology. Those are big, important things for me. Um, and to draw the line is really hard, obviously, um, because at the beginning of the genre and the beginning of like just popular music in America, it was a really unfortunate thing because um, there was no like fast and hard copywriting rules. Mm-hmm. It was just like people were just playing standards and then they'd start playing other people's songs. And like oftentimes it was a lot of black musicians who were whose music was getting stolen by white musicians who made it more popular. Um, some artists um did so while trying to support the black artist or the artists of color and some just straight up stole it um so obviously it has roots in racism um but beyond that like just the general tradition of like oral history of telling stories it's like you know it's hard to really parse and, and nowadays you know you can get sued for just about anything you can get sued for the way a drum like a snare drum sounds and people well, say you stole it you know. for all got sued yes. for I don't, know if, exactly. I don't know if that was a uh, collaboration or was that stealing? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd say they're more egregious um, examples of stealing that have, um, it's, it's still, it's still pretty bad. I mean, like <laughs> there, there it's, um, it, it, especially within the world of hip hop, there's so much sampling that's happening. Um, and to go through all the loops, all the hoops of like trying to get certain things cleared. Some people just hope that um, the other musician will respect it as a form of flattery. Um, other times they just take it as a full affront. And um, so it just kind of really depends on the artist, you know. Let's start from the beginning, you know, before cough syrup. You know, you were this brown guy in school and you dropped out. Did you know you were going to be this big? Like, did you feel it inside <laughs> you? Like, did you, you know, like, like Bob Dylan, yeah. if you read his biography or you watch his documentary, He's, it's almost like he knew he was going to become big and he had a plan. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. feel that deep down within you? You know, to a certain extent, if I had to be honest with myself, there were moments where I felt like I could really make this happen. And there's music has always been in my life and it was always the thing that was most natural to me. But, you know, growing up, you know, first generation Indian American in America, eldest in my family, I was kind of, you know, as you know, like a guinea pig for yeah. the American experiment yeah. and the Amer- American dream. And uh, a lot of that came with a lot of baggage. And um, obviously I did, you know, I excelled in school. I got into, you know, Stanford and I tried and I really cared about that stuff. I really like love learning and that was important to me. Um, but music was always just like the thing that felt most natural. Um, I didn't go to start doing this like with any expectations but i did have um a very um i didn't have any expectations but i just knew that something could happen 
here, that um, I had a confidence that, that things could work out. Um, and it just took, you know, acting on that confidence. It was a very difficult thing to do with Indian parents as well. Yeah. Did you feel the guilt? <laughs> yeah. The immigrant guilt? The immigrant oh, yeah. son guilt? Oh, my God. Do you still feel Oh, my that? God, yes. Yes, it's, it's starting to taper off a little bit now. Really? It doesn't go away. I, I still I, feel it. I feel like it never goes away. I feel like it's always going to be there. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm married. I am about to have a son. And so with these rites of passage come some sort of like understanding. Okay, okay, you know, he's an adult. But yeah, there's still, there's still, you know, I think it's the story of our culture in a lot of ways is guilt. Um, it's a very powerful thing and um, has channeled a lot of musical creation or just creation for me in general. Yeah. Oh, you actually write about the guilt in your, in your songs? I mean, yeah, it's, it's channeled for sure. I mean, and there was a massive, massive amount of guilt. You know, the first record, just um, for the first time, just defying the, the expectations set for me. I was always a good, good butcha, you know, I was, mm -hmm. I was always doing everything right. And um, it was the first time that, you know, I was like, I'm just going to go and, you know, smoke weed and, and write music and, you know, to to say that to to uh, to Indian parents is, is like not in those words. Ridiculous. No, not in those words. But you know, to yeah. be honest, looking back on it, it was it was a great moment because it was the moment between my my father and I having that conversation, and everything that followed has made us a lot closer. Um, um, and I think he respects me more. How um, old having you? I was nineteen when I made that decision. Yeah, that's very young. <laughs> for someone to make a big decision like that yes yeah <laughs> i don't necessarily suggest it i wouldn't i wouldn't say that everyone should do that no but, but you're <laughs> very very you're very talented and you're very very smart i remember asking you for book recommendations and your list of books was like i've never even heard of any of these books and <laughs> you know that's how you if you, you know i judge people by their choices of books and you know you pass the test you know i don't want to call <laughs> it, yeah i don't want to sound like a jerk Thank or you. anything uh, no, no, I get that. If I was like, you know, mentioning Dan Brown, then maybe it wouldn't have been yeah. Or, you know, every brown person has to mention the kite runner, you know, it's kind yeah, of like, exactly. hey, come on, you know, there's we're more than just that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh when did you know you made it? Like how how what how old were you when you like realized like wow I'm I made it in the scene? By the way, you didn't just make it in, in music, you made it in the in the cool parties of music, you know, the, the Coachella, you know, where you would want to be if you were going to start, you know, if you wanted to be like a musical star. I think it was, you know, there, there were just so little expectations at the time. I didn't realize how much was hanging by a thread. But when we first released our first album was actually the 10 year anniversary for that is at the end of this year. And they, I think the, the label and the team spent a good, like, full year and a half like pushing the record before it started actually working you know oh. it's this they started then spinning the record like my body they started spinning that song in canada and in the states and then that's when it really started picking up and so it was only about a year and a half later but at that point you know my my expectations were like honestly if like this will let me pay for my phone bill like then i'm just like i'm happy with that like that's all i that was all my expectations um and it just completely blew all my expectations outside out of the water um, but it was, I think we'd started getting, uh, a lot of tours and we'd been getting, um, some European festival offers and we we're playing in Australia. And then finally we got, um, uh, the opportunity, uh, the VMAs randomly 
of all people, they wanted us to perform wow. at, at the VMAs in 2011. And we were the only like rock group to perform. Um, and that night was just one of the f most surreal, weird nights of my entire career. Um, but oh, I remember that I night. Read, yeah, I read an article. You went uh, crowd surfing. And it yes, was like this yeah. big moment. And then it was like yeah. all over the news or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was epic. Yeah, man. It was uh it was a very surreal night. Um and I think overnight things changed for us. And I, I I didn't quite I think I took it for granted. You know when you're young, you take things for granted. Um I took for granted that moment, but that was really the begin the moment things really changed. Did you keep your identity, your I guess your background low key? It was never something I hid, but you know, I'm a light-skinned brown guy. I was surrounded by three other white guys, uh, one Persian guy in the band. And um, I had um, been a part of a radio revolution, alternative radio revolution in North America. And ironically, the, the scene was actually very um, culturally diverse at the time. But because it was living on a platform that was just music and audio, is that people had the ability to put their expectations on what that artist was. And so um, it wasn't that I was trying to hide it. It was just that I wasn't saying like, hey, look at me, I'm Indian, like all the time. But obviously I was very, um, I've, there was a, you know, obviously I think there's to be very vulnerable. There are moments in every immigrant's life, early life, where they feel embarrassed for where they came from. And that that was never a part of this career for me um the band guys were all immigrants we're all from different places and we use we channel that power like made it our superpower um in our music but i don't think the outside world um understood that and i, st I still don't think they do honestly i think um but there's a there's a huge subversive element to that that i think is really exciting because i can reach people who might not normally listen to what i want to say and i can hide it behind the meaning of songs and right. I can incept, I can incept ideas into their brain, which I think is yeah. pretty powerful. One yeah. of your albums, Home of the Strange, is very political. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about your identity. It's about the immigrant identity in America. When did you? Why did you decide to start speaking about? Start getting political, I guess, because I don't know. It's a risk you're taking in a way. Yeah, you know, I think with us, um, our goal was to always explore, and we were never happy with just trying to do the same thing that we done before. Uh, for me, I started to really understand the people who I was talking to and in the fans and realizing they, I wanted to tell them more about my experience and, and who I actually was and not hide behind platitudes. And um, there was a strong moment where we were playing a lot of college shows at that point. And you could see, you know, like, I think because we we're blessed to have the ability to travel so much um, is that we can see how people in, you know, coastal areas, metropolitan areas live very much so in a bubble. And we were seeing that bubble burst like on a daily basis on uh, school campuses around the country um, of just really in strong racial tension, strong political tension. Um, and this was, you know, pre Trump or like just when Trump was about to, you know, run for, for president but there was still this fever pitch that was happening um, on campuses all over the country. And it became a, a story that we, we really understood is we understood that part of ourselves and that, that's um, 
that fear of erasure, the fear of not being able to tell your narrative and to tell your story in this country, a land of immigrants. And so um, that's kind of where it came from. And then it was very, very, you know, timely that it just so happened to be released like before, you know, Trump was full, was even elected. But um, I don't think I was as surprised as maybe some of my ultra liberal friends were uh, in California. I was surprised. Yeah. I, I mean, you're from Canada. I'm from Canada. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> do you think it backfired or you think it was taken well? The record? Yeah. Oh, I think it was, I think it was most definitely taken well. Um, there's a huge testament to our fans. I, I think inherently, you know, there, there's maybe like a first degree type of fan who's like, oh, I like, you know, this song and that song. And that's all I really need to know about that band, right? But then there are certain artists who are certain fans who are like, okay, I want to know a little bit more about this artist and people who maybe don't know much about what the Indian experience is. And then if they still support me, that means that they're willing to get to like open their minds and to change their minds about things. And it was really exciting to see that, um, to be able to play um, that record like front to back in like Montgomery, Alabama and like the wow. deep South. Yeah. And, and like people come up to be like, afterwards and say wow like you know it's so powerful that i was able to hear your story and like it makes so much more sense to me now you know i think it was a really enriching experience there's a lot of uh a lot of spotlight on indian politics now mm -hmm. do you think you're gonna ever sing about that or you know kind of give your opinions on that you know i would need to steep myself further into it i don't want to like i obviously have my opinions and i do want to I believe that music should have a responsibility or artists should have a responsibility to comment on things, but I also want to make sure that I'm coming correct, that I like, uh -huh. I need to be, obviously it's a very, very biased set of things. That's very, very much so mirroring American politics. So it's, it's, um, it's a, I think it would most definitely be something worth exploring. I actually really, you know, that's a whole other conversation because I think there's so many amazing Indian musicians uh, out there, you know, Pratik Kuhab, who you've done a feature for, yeah. him and I are, are, are buddies. He's a really, really great musician and uh, from Delhi. And it's just, there's so much happening there that I would actually love to go back there and, and like try and give some of my knowledge to some of these guys and girls to be able to like produce and make records about stuff that's really happening there to share it with the rest of the world, you know? That would be really cool. Yeah. There's a big uh, music scene there. Massive. Massive. Massive, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, your kid, you have a, you have a son coming up, right? Or you already have a yeah. son? No, he's he's coming up. He's coming up in a few weeks. Now. Are you nervous? <laughs> I oh yeah, man. I'm I'm like vacillating between nervous and um, just unbelievably excited. I got like a an ultrasound today, and he's like looking a lot like baby Samir. So it's like it's pretty <laughs> crazy to to see that. It's so nuts. My yeah. brother just had a, a kid uh, a month ago. And he was like saying how there was two of us in the room, and then next thing you know, there's three of us, and it's just yeah, it's like whoa, you know, it's that's insane. that's how he describes it. And then he's like, uh, and then doctors like, you can go home, and you're like, wait, what with the baby? Isn't there a, <laughs> yeah. isn't something we should do something? Are you coming with us? So it's like weird, and you take it day by day. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm I'm looking forward to, it, but also terrified. I've heard some horror stories, but just you know, staying positive. Yeah, yeah, stay positive. So, I watched your documentary that you recommended, Beware Mr. Baker. I feel, sometimes I'm, I feel bad for him, but sometimes he's an idiot. And sometimes I think oh, yeah. he's really smart. And sometimes I'm just yeah. like, no. 
<laughs> did you did yeah. you develop like a rock and roll kind of a personality, or did you stop yourself from developing it? Yeah, you know, it's a very complex dance,、uh, especially being a lead singer in a band. The、um, flirting with the idea of mystique,、um, flirting with the, it's a that in itself is a dissertation worth、um, <laughs> uh, uncovering. But it's been it's been a whole、um, journey for me.、Um, I've been lucky enough to have like really strong family support. My my wife and I have been together since high school.、Um, the guys in the band were all just like good people, and、um, my management, everyone I work with, like they're first and foremost just great people, and、um, that's been a great, amazing thing for me because that's very rare and it's very easy to be caught up in this industry, especially as a person of color, especially as a person who feels like they're on the outside. I've seen it happen. I've seen the tokenism happen. I've seen the clowning happen,、um, and I've I've had to walk that line、um, several times.、Um, but I totally get that the whole thing, and I can chart it from kind of its beginning. It's pretty crazy. Part of me wants to kind of tell my story and kind of be out there and speak, but at the same time, the less people know about me, the more my work gets kind of has a better spotlight on, has more meaning to it, right? And、mm -hmm. for Bob Dylan, he keeps himself mysterious. But at the same time, he found this balance where, like, you want more and you get some, but you want even more. And like、mm -hmm. Kanye West and you know you two, you know all their stories inside out. How did you decide to to like? How did you find that balance where you wanna talk about yourself, like you reveal about yourself without giving away too much, while keeping the music kind of ambiguous but kind of expert,、mm -hmm. you know, kind of explain it to the people, like. What do、mm -hmm. I do, or what would your recommendation be in terms of your experience? You know, it's a it's a daily thing. It's a cultural thing. It's it's um it's something that changes with time. You know, like for you, I I really respect your platform. I think you've done an amazing job、uh, with what you're doing, and、uh, I truly respect that idea. I think、um, in some ways you're kind of like a superhero, and I I think whoa, of like whoa, whoa. Come on. Was, no, I think I think of it, you know, as you know, you know. Clark Kent versus like Superman, like、yeah. when you are, when you wear the thing, when you're behind the mask, you have you mean more than just being a person, right?、Um, and there's a huge responsibility that comes with that.、Um, is a huge personal weight that comes with that.、Um, but when it can be done well, it can、um, it can be very very powerful. But it, the, the the more you create that. Get that distance from yourself. The more you see it、um, trying to leech on to you as well. So it's like it's a dance. You know, it's not. It's it's like a yin and yang. You have to be able to、um, kind of constantly keep in touch with it and see what is natural. You know,、um, for for me, it was like in 2010 when we first came out. It's crazy different time. Well, it was 10 years ago. Spotify didn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know,、um, people were illegally ripping stuff off of like LimeWire and shit. Yeah, I did that. Right? Yeah, yeah.、Sorry、and you know,、that. like we got. Oh, it's fine, man. I honestly am totally cool with it. And、um, <laughs> I grew up with that, you know. And、uh, you know, MySpace was the thing back then, right?、Um, and so there was already this built-in anonymity that I didn't have to really do that much. You know, it's like. Um, mystique was so much easier to cultivate back in the day because it was just like there was no twenty four seven circle on you.、Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about you know how would have Bob Dylan been able to sell Going Electric 
you know, I always joke about like, would he have made like a TikTok account to, you know, to, to make that work? But, you know, how would have David, how would David Bowie have ever gotten out of his, you know, Ziggy Stardust makeup? Uh, because, right. you know, for, by all accounts, you know, he was an, he was a really sharp dude. David Bowie, like, was a yeah. sharp business person. Same with Mick Jagger. He went to, like, the London School of Economics. Um, he used to go on morning jogs in the 70s, while, but was still managing. People thought it was because he was doing so many drugs, but he was actually just a healthy person. Um, there was a lot of, like, concealing, and there was a lot of, like, hiding behind something um, that came to a head um, by Kurt Cobain. I consider Kurt, Kurt Cobain to be the martyr of, of that idea of the rock star. I think, really? uh, Why? yeah, I think that he took that personal, um, onus on him so much. And then when he killed himself, it became this free for all of, okay, now that era is over. Like this idea of the rock star is dead. And I think, um, that's the moment that things changed. Um, I think for the artists in a great way, because artists at a certain point, you know, we're not pressured to, to die at the age of 27 and have, you know, massive heroin addictions to be considered important artists. You know, mm -hmm. that was essentially the bar back then, whether, whether, or whether or not it was true, it was just like music tabloid was business. Like the news and the fear mongering is business. It was the same thing. It was just like easy to tell these stories. If you tell a great story about Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix isn't going to refute that if it makes them look cool. Right. He's not he's not thinking about 30, 40 years from now. He's not thinking about his legacy and saying, wow, this is going to create a really unrealistic expectation for young artists of color in this space. No, he's he was thinking, wow, like that's pretty badass. And like I sound like way cooler than I actually am. Let's just keep living with that. And it created this unreal expectation for for musicians um, to deal have to deal with that fame. And it's created a lot of mental issues. And that's why you see like a lot of uh, drug overdoses you see a lot of still mental problems within the music industry um it's you know hopefully also something going not to jump too far forward but mm -hmm. something i want to address with point of origin as well there's a community for artists to be seen and feel heard and realize that like they don't have to like pretend to be something that they're not you know you get really deep down in uh, point of origin you go really really far back to the person's origins where they're from and where their music comes from what about you where does your influences come from any bollywood influences i know your family yeah has classical music backgrounds it's not as overt you know i think some of maybe my looking hearing back on some of my vocal runs the way that i handle some of my vocal runs um, i don't really think about it but it's just been strongly influenced by bollywood and classical music especially like in the old school stuff like kishore kumar and like Stuff like that, like that vibe, <laughs> like just, you know, that heyday of, you know, there was actually a lot of <clears throat> co-influence at the time. I see like a lot of big band stuff in this America, like Frank Sinatra connecting with a lot of like the old school Muhammad Rafi stuff and surf rock in India that was connecting to a lot of bossa nova music in South America. And that was like this, you know, trifecta for me of like, okay, I would listen to Frank Sinatra. And then like, you know, for me, like, uh, you know, in more contemporary setting, I listened to Julian Casablancas, who was like strongly um, channeling some Frank Sinatra. I was listening to some Bossa Nova music, which was strongly channeling some Frank Sinatra. I was listening to like just around the house, listening to a lot of Bollywood music. My parents like love my my um, dad's mom was a professional singer when she was young, but then was like was pressured to start a family and stuff, and so right, she wasn't right. able to f fully achieve that. But um, 
my my parents have a great love for film and for music and so the music was just always around the house but it was like a mixture of all these places and from disparate influences but who had all kind of affected one another that i only came to realize much later on in in life you know what about uh ongoing in the future i guess now that you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna be a parent we're gonna hear music about your parenting skills <laughs> what it means to you though know? oh man i don't know about that that would be uh there you know i'm i'm willing to you know say that the new musician doesn't have to follow certain guidelines and rules but true uh i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna f- start fully be me fully go dive into that world either i have to kind of find the find the right balance you mentioned that you've been with your partner for from the beginning before you hit like at the peak of your fa- uh, of your fame like when you just started 10 years any uh any advice for uh, you know any relationship advice for someone starting asking for a friend you know yeah <laughs> how do you, you know how do you cuz you 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 have a relationship but you have all these fans throwing themselves at you you're 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 getting compliments you're famous you're making good money how do you keep that you know keep going keep keep it strong i think at the end of the day when you um play out all the possibilities especially when you attach something like fame to the the equation is that at the end of the day the only way you are going to survive yourself is if you have someone you can be truly 100% yourself with like your genuine self like the person you are with your parents you know like or whoever you feel the closest to um if you have that in your life then you have the longevity to do anything but if you find yourself at the end of a really long day coming home to someone who you feel like you're acting for then that's the problem it doesn't matter who that person is or how famous or like wherever like what like how you guys met or like you know how bougie they are or whatever like if if you guys don't have a common bond of like understanding and being just like yourselves with one another then like it's not going to work and it might be like a fleeting thing um but it's not going to be as strong as if you have that with someone and that also though that doesn't necessarily mean that like your partner is like you you it's to put a lot of expectations on a partner to be a perfect person because no one is perfect mm-hmm. you know i'm not per- i'm not perfect there are things that my partner has to deal with with me that are like probably things that she would rather not deal with but they're the things that you know come along with with who i am and uh, it's just like an internal calculation to figure out um how much you're willing to make compromise but also know like love the part of them that's making you a better person because i think you know she just makes me a better person has always done so and has always called me out on my shit and is never going to ever just like say something's good just because i she expect i expected of her or something like that she will always tell me the truth and um to have someone who gives you that is like unbelievably priceless you know yeah but you started dating you started dating at like 1920 how how did you stay because you're still trying to figure yourself out and you're, you know, a normal person kind of just goes through, you know, university, job, nine to five, cubicle. But you went like, you were, you know, extraordinarily, your life path was very out there. You traveled around the world. You met all your role models probably. You know, you just, it must have been, 
either you're really, really smart because you seem like you're very, very smart and ahead of your time. But uh, yeah, I guess I don't know what I'm asking you. I'm just saying. No, it's it's hard, man. It's it's, it's a hard. really hard thing. It is. Tough. It's a hard thing. I think that you know when you don't have the normal grind and you're faced with yourself um, all the time, you you end up and asking the questions of yourself that some people don't end up ever asking. You know, like I think a lot of people are just in denial their whole life right. about who they are. And I, I've always wanted to tackle who I am as a person. And um, that has, um, you know, when it relates to my wife, yeah, I was like really fortunate that we met in high school and we've known each other for that long. But one thing I do know is that both of us have changed like over time. I don't, I believe that people change. I believe that people grow and you know at a certain age people maybe think that they're not growing or they think that they're really set in their ways but it's like it's also like you can't expect stuff if you're not willing to give you know and I think the most important thing to do with a relationship without being afraid of getting your feelings hurt or whatever is to just be yourself and to like not fucking waste time with like pretending to be something that you're not, because that's just going to lead you down like a path, you know, like six months wasted or whatever of your life. Okay. You know, I'll send you an invitation to my wedding. If that, yeah. advice, if that advice works, you'll be yeah, man, just You can sing the Mulgrave songs and my, exactly. Put a mask on. Exactly. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't last that long. <laughs> I need to be. I need to make some money too. Again. No, I, I hope it. You know, I hope it stays until I get married. So this way, the wedding is pretty cheap. You know, I don't have to invite the whole world over. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a rite of passage, though. Have you? Right you've passage. been to India many times. Um, yeah, I saw your documentary that you went to India with your band, but you didn't really talk about you, like on a personal level. You kind of just talked like as a band. Yeah, uh, and I wondered why, but then I found out that you go there like every two years, so it wasn't really a big deal for you to go there. But yeah. when you do go there, do you feel do you feel you belong? But not in a sense like, okay, my family's there and I have history, but kind of like like really spiritually belong. And having said that, do you feel like you belong here in in the states? Uh-huh. I don't feel like I belong in either one, one hundred percent. I feel like. Um, there are so many beautiful things about India that speak to a deeper hidden part of me that uh, I forget sometimes. Um, and that's why I love going there. Um, but in a lot of ways, I most definitely do not fit in. And it's pretty crazy. Like even my parents now, you know, they moved to the States in 1984. Actually, they moved to Michigan. I have a lot of family in Toronto too, by the way. And um <laughs> they, you know, they feel more American now. Like they don't fit in there anymore, and they grew up there their whole life. You know, they like they'll open the door at a mall for like an auntie, and people, like, who the fuck are you? You know, like you know, it's um, it's it's slightly different. Like I don't, I don't think I fully culturally fit in there. Nor do I fit in here culturally. You know, people don't um understand my perspective where I come from. There's so many, there's so many people who I call great friends. Uh, who are, you know, trying to learn, honestly, who I am, but also are just so completely unaware that I have to provide context for everything. And um, that's in itself tiring. But, you know, yeah. that's that is that's the burden of being an immigrant. You know, that's the yes. burden of being a first gener- first generation. Your wife, your son, 
may never understand that about uh, that about you. Isn't mm-hmm. that weird? Isn't that isn't that like a side of it's you so that like that like they can never comprehend? Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely insane. Uh, like that that does scare me. Um, uh, that 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 erasure. Um, and that's why I'm doing everything in my power to leave a mark and to try and create this for other people to create a community for them to like feel feel understood and to feel like that story makes sense. Um, like you know, my my wife is she's an immigrant too and she, obviously she's not an indian immigrant but she understands what it feels like to be misunderstood to be um to you know english wasn't even her mother tongue and so there's just like so many um certain things that we really click on and for my son i hope that he's willing to go through that journey with me and um you know it's uh it's still something that is at the end of the day going to only be my story within this lineage, but um, is still something that I can share with the world. Do you think you know? we we are always going to be searching for the rest of our life, or do you think we just embrace the searching and kind of just just get you know stuck with it, or we actually find a place and yeah. kind of just like okay, this is where we are now and we're good? I think the the search is the 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 thing. I think the search is the most beautiful thing that uh a person can do i feel like it allows us to look at the world with open minds new perspectives and like a naive sense of wonderment for everything um when we start piecing things together when we start piecing things together about ourselves that we didn't even understand were there um in our history um, and that's why what you do is like so important Uh, i think like there's so many uh young kids out there who um are seeing this and like um, are so are able to relate on such a deep level, able to make connections that, about things that just make sense to them. And honestly, I think that's more fun. I think it's more fun than like feeling like, okay, I'm here. This is my people. These are my, this is my community. I'm like stuck here. You know, like I feel like that, that sense, the chasing of that moment, that feeling that high is like um, in itself, like just a longer lasting reward. Um, but that that's because I'm also a musician and an artist and always like trying to, trying to find that struggle um, and trying to, to, to tell that story. So for me, it's exciting, you know? Right. You sound like a very optimistic person. I tend to be, there are, mo- there are moments where I'm very jaded. I'm still a very analytical person. That Indian part of that good drafty side of me has not uh, been beaten out. Uh, are, you, so. are you sure that's not like the artist side of you where like, you know, you're kind of like <laughs> a tormented artist, you know, Kanye West, yeah. Hemingway. You know, it's funny because, you know, it's a crazy thing when, you know, even realizing like, you know, we're such educated people. We like understood so much great stuff about film and literature and pop culture. And so much of it is tinged on the side of the Western skew. Right. And like, yes. And like, you know, even like, you know, yeah. Like the people who I look up to, I'm like, wow, like Jesus Christ, like how many white men do I listen to? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I use their advice for my life. I'll read yeah, exactly. Hemingway, I'll read, you know, uh, Fitzgerald, but like yeah. they have no understanding of anything about me, nor do they no. care. No. And and that that's a hard pill to swallow, but but just going back and understanding the history, the rich history of where we come from and knowing there's so many great, um, amazing filmmakers like Sachit, Sachit Ray, like, um, like there's so many people out there in that been doing stuff in film there, been doing stuff in, in 
and music for such a long time that have gone on to make long lasting, strong influences on the rest of the world. And, you know, like one of my favorite writers is Salman Rushdie, just because he's just, he's just obviously pisses a lot of people off and um, I enjoy that, but, but, you know, he's willing to, to, to piece things together, you know, and is is willing to um, speak to us because we know that he understands in some way, you know? Yeah. But however, I'm really tired. Like, uh, like writers from the Western, right. They don't really need to explain themselves before writing their stories. They don't really need to kind of do all that work. No. When I'm sitting down and I want to write a story, I have to now try to. I feel like I'm explaining something to somebody first before I can tell the story. You know, I wish I could just totally. tell the story, just the story. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. Of course. So I feel like we're mm-hmm. blocked in that sense. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think in some ways, the um, at least with the platform of music, is that I have the ability to kind of, like I said, incept some of these things without the full context, but. I still do have to explain things, but what I do think optimistically is that we're laying the groundwork for the next generation to then be able to tell these stories without having to create context. You know, like in speaking with all the artists who have spoken with so far for point of origin, it's like, it's like, do you think we want to be like this? Do you think we want to be like quote unquote social justice warriors, like talking about quality all the time? No, we just, what we want is to be understood. What we want is to like not have to have like, qualifiers for every single thing that we're doing that's all we're asking for and um that requires groundwork that requires like people like us to be able to provide the context and hammer down the contracts context for people so that they can do that in the future yeah or 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 correct when someone you know gives us the wrong story and be like no that's not what happened this is what happened and I'm, i'm i'm optimistic that it can happen in our lifetimes you know we're still very young you know if you just think about the history of like um, black sitcoms in America and like how far it's gone from like, you know, the, the most earliest representations of black people in America, in American shows to then, you know, like then all of a sudden Cosby's, you know, <laughs> let's not even talk about Bill Cosby, but like, you know, and then into like a show, like, you know, like blackish or something like that or yeah. black AF. Yeah. Yeah. Like black AF is like, like a fourth degree level of like, cultural understanding of the black right. narrative experience. And I feel like, you know, we have a long way to go um, as South Asians, but I think that there's like, it can happen still, you know, maybe when we're like 70 years old, we'll be able to do these things. Our great, great, yeah. chan- great, great grandchildren. It's an interesting thing. I think going into all of this stuff, um, there's so much of myself that I look into now with a greater idea of my identity and, to almost like this self brainwashing thing, this idea that, um, you know, white males owned the space of alternative music. And that uh, right now, for better or for worse, the judgments that have been placed upon alternative music has been decided by white males, music journalists, who say that alternative music is white boy music and therefore is uninteresting. But I'm here to refute that. I'm here to say that for the people look on the outside looking in who are not musicians or maybe don't even like listen to much alternative music. There's so much rich, rich history within the genre that has gone on to influence like Kanye, you know, Kanye freaking uses can uh, samples. He, he was like a big Aphex twin fan. Like these are, you know, Canon, like indie rock people. And like that, like 
there's just so much happening within the alternative space still that's relevant to like popular music and it's happening not just by white men you know right. and it's always been that way like always since the beginning of alternative music and so i want to just i want to show that to people outside to say like listen like this is still relevant and also for musicians within the space who feel like they're really not understood and are like have nowhere to go that they feel like there's a glass ceiling above them that like if you can if you can work your way to get to the other side um there will be a community there's a community for you who who wants to understand your story and that's that's kind of what this is all about you know it's rechallenging that narrative well wow, that's amazing do you know how many episodes you're going to have or are you just going by as of now i have 24 episodes yeah i have to oh, do you, 24 you well it's a it, year yeah. contract it's a year so it's two uh, two a month um and it's a one entirely one man show and i'm not getting paid i'm not getting paid at all to do it but that that's you know that's like uh that's how passionately i feel about this you know i really think it's a really important 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 thing and so um i'll i'll continue to do it as long as i have the ability to do it what do you think of the south asian artists of of this generation like jay shan riz ahmed like mm-hmm. mia any fa- any particular favorites you have or maybe not um there's have you heard of jay paul Jay Paul yeah 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 Jay Paul this guy very Indian mysterious. summer um Indian summer no, is he it? did um no he's um his first oh, song he's British he's a yeah, British he's a guy. British dude yeah I know he is yeah. yeah I know he is yeah and he is he is like insanely talented him and his brother um they're like really really good they have a something called the Paul Institute uh it's just like they've like been able they've produced stuff for big boy and like stuff like that as well no um yeah and like um bts to you was like yeah was jay paul's first song and just super ahead of its time like he really was highly influential to like the use of synth and contemporary indie rock music and like um just just highly highly influential person like a lot of musicians like really really love jay paul but he's so mysterious yes and he's just like a normal dude like who hangs out at a pub his his first um his set of demos was actually stolen and leaked and ransomed online and like so he's just like a very very interesting person um so for me he is a huge huge person i think um mia is just like freaking amazing she's just she's, like next she's level she's brave she's like up there she's super badass. super she's a badass super next level she, you know um, mia when paper planes came out she was 32 Is yeah, that crazy? Exactly. If that if that, anybody needs inspiration or you know like motive like hope you know exactly. you can, 32 is when paper planes came out. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's just sometimes these things take time. Yeah, man. I think I think I'm excited to see uh new young future artists because like they don't have to go through all the the hoops that like I had to go through maybe, you know, like I didn't have to like maybe they didn't have to be in denial the whole their most of their young adulthood and I was lucky that I was my parents were able to foster that within me and I was able to do achieve that at a young age but their kids like you know it's like anything it's like that's why you know the um, soccer in like South America and in, in Europe is so strong because like these kids they're like oh wow this is actually a realistic thing that you could do like have you seen and you've seen uh, that spelling bee documentary on yeah. Netflix right yeah yeah and like examples of success in a, within a community are extremely important because the moment that they see that someone can do this they're like wait I can do this 
you know, wait, this is actually a way to be successful. I don't have to be just a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. I can do this and that I will still be able to reach and attain my dreams. And so if a young child who's like immensely talented and gifted has been given the keys and the resources to do that at a really young age, you know, like imagine what they can do. It's just like, we haven't been given that chance yet because as a, you know, as immigrants, immigrants. we've had to deal with a lot of other shit first before yeah. being able to. And we still do. And we exactly. Still do. We still do. And we still do. Another thing, when you started making music, there was no real social media presence. So you kind of, you didn't have to worry about likes and reposts and reshares and things like that. Nowadays, people who are making music, they've kind of, they're kind of stuck in social media and originality is kind of harder to get by now and uh, being authentic and coming up with your own thing. You know, your, your podcast is about influences, but nowadays everyone kind of just does the same thing over and over and then there's another trend mm-hmm. and it goes over and over and they the same music's kind of being rep- repeated how do you avoid that like how do you mm-hmm. for someone who's starting in the right now like a young guy mm-hmm. and he's making music but it's yeah. hard to not get lost in that yeah i think it's about constantly feeling uncomfortable and like not being stuck on a sound or an idea of what you think you should to do based on what's being what's popular you know i think it's just about uh, subconsciously just being influenced by a lot of things and being able to be open to listen to all sorts of music um yeah it's it's unfortunate now that i do really believe and it's a sad thing is that you know i came up in a time where at least um like music i don't like the term that music is faceless because that, that implies that there's no political or cultural baggage associated with it, which is completely wrong. But it was a time where the music was more important than who was making the music. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was really exciting, uh, a really exciting moment. But now it's most definitely the most important thing is who is making music. You know, and it's like if a, a five-year-old child made, not even a five-year-old, let's just say like a run-of-the-mill, like normal person made this beautiful record um, and show it to someone, they'd be like, okay, well, you're just like a normal person. But if they gave that record to Kanye and Kanye released it, they'd be like, oh, this is a timeless masterpiece. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's very subjective. Not to say the, I love Kanye, yeah, me but too. just, but just, it's so, um, so important now that it's a really, really difficult thing. And it, that, it, it creates a lot of the problems, I think, that we, we have as a culture too. Uh, it's just like this constant under need for, um, it's you know art second, identity first, and um, right. And identity for an immigrant out. is even tougher because now you kind of you're, you're an immigrant, but you have to kind of fit this identity, and and then you need to sell your music. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like there's there's no like hard and fast narrative. Like you know when you think about music, you think about art in general. It's like you want people to connect with this story and this idea, right? But it's like you know, there are a few narratives happening in, in North America, but like the immigrant experience is such a undervalued narrative um, that to find a common bond of understanding is difficult. And so just, you know, talking about creating that context is supremely important so that we don't have to say, well, you know, our, our food is really spicy and our weddings are really cult- uh, colorful and, and our aunties like to gossip, you know, yeah. it's like, Let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond that. Let's talk about let's talk about Mahabharata. Let's talk about 
the um, you know the, our deep deep philosophy. Maya. You know, let's, let's, Maya, exactly. You know, let's talk about those things, and let's talk about the things that um, have been very Indian things have been used in American culture for a very long time. Yeah. You know, are starting to be become popularized in American culture. You know. Let's just talk about like us as people, and not you know, just like a everyday, exactly. you know, like just an everyday, like arranged marriage is so, like it's always yeah. the story, the story, the main character is yeah. arranged marriage, and then comes the other characters. But I would love to see just like you know, yeah, arranged marriage is in the background. You don't have to talk about it; it's just there, and you're just talking about a love story between two people. Exactly, and you see, you see, like you know, not to go back into the you know the TV reference here, but like I'm a big film and TV buff too, is like. You know, if you think of Curb Your Enthusiasm, for example, right? Like Larry David as a cultural totem is like, um, comes with a lot of his own baggage of what it is to be a stereotypical Jewish person in New York City that's tied to the, the Jewish experience in America, which is also tied to a bunch of history before that. He doesn't have to talk, he doesn't have to talk about any of that no, stuff. It's no. implicit, it's implied within him. He's become himself he's taking that narrative to the furthest conclusion, you know, of like taking it into just like, what if jokes essentially. Same and thing with Seinfeld. Exactly. With Seinfeld. And that's why, you know, Larry David was so integral to that. And it's like, that's why I like black AF so much because it's like essentially like taking it there. He's, he still has to like, um, Kenny Barris still has to, you know, qualify certain things, but like they're going like really far in, into, a lot of stuff that like doesn't have to be qualified. And I, I really hope that, um, you know, we can have that. I really hope that. I was speaking to Nikesh Shukla, who's the editor of the good immigrant, which is like a book on being an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's like, he was mentioning it too. He's like Seinfeld, Larry David, they get to talk about nothing. They can have a show and yeah. just talk about nothing. Immigrants, yeah. people of color can't have a show where they talk about nothing. It, it's unheard yeah. of. Yeah. So, it has to be a qualifier. What's your book you're reading right now? Any recommendations? Dude, I'm reading a lot of baby books right now. Oh. I'm reading a, a lot of baby books. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I'm not there yet, so I would have no input on that. Um, yeah. Are you? Are you? Oh yeah. Are you religious? Um. No. Are you I'm raised not, religious? Yeah. Uh. Not really. I was raised raised to um you know, understand the culture to understand my religion. And I, I see, um, Hinduism because I'm, I was raised Hindu, yeah. um, as, um, a philosoph philosophical set of tenets. And, and, um, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be able to like go t into a deep dive into like, like old texts and stuff into like get into that more than just like, you know, the different pujas that we do or like the, you know, cultural unifiers that we have. Um, and, I still feel a deep connection with it, but I, um, I'm not as, you know, what you would call in the modern terms of the big three religion, religious, you know? Uh, cause I wanted to know, like, you know, when you were trying to, when you were in the struggle of trying to make it, did you have, did you rely on the universe, you know, like, uh, like the alchemist, did you kind of have that kind of mentality where you're like, please God, please God, or universe, you know, help me out or things will work out or everything. Do you believe basically that in like in the alchemist that everything happens for a reason and that the universe is kind of trying to help you get to where you are or do you think with the way the way you got where you are is through hard work talent but also a lot of luck um i think it's somewhere in between 
those two things. Political like, I don't answer. No, no, I don't like. I, I most definitely know that luck had something a lot to do with what I'm, I've done, but I can't just chalk up that luck to being coincidence. Nor do I believe in full fate. I don't believe. I, I do believe that in some way we have our own personal will or our illusion of will, and that that's like manifested in like all sorts of different ways. I wouldn't say it's like as hard and fast. Like we have a song called Superposition, yeah, um, which is like a quantum theory of like you know, and that's kind of what. I, and, and it's funny because like the first line of that that song is that I don't I don't believe in fate, no superstition, but when things fall into place superposition and i believe in yeah what this, is this, what is superposition by the way what is the definition it's of this that? it's this lining up of variable outcomes that fall into a, a same averaged path that like works in like small particles of quantum theory but like i extrapolated that to think about like romantic ideas or just like cosmic ideas um like so my 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 granduncle was actually a black hole physicist at Dundas, you know, you know no Dundas way. University. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I remember like when I was younger, like, you know, one of the books that he actually, you should, you know, read a brief history of time. It's like a Stephen Hawking book. I and will. He, I haven't read it yet. And it's, it's mind blowing, man. Like he wrote that in the seventies and it's like, we haven't gotten much farther. And the reason why is he says that, you know, we're looking for the grand unification theory, the thing, that can bridge the gap between relativity and quantum physics. And we haven't found it yet. You know, there was a point in time, like during Newton and stuff where like everyone who is educated could understand calculus, right? Like they, they got it. They understood gravity. Like it made sense. So like in a sense, everyone knew the most cutting edge science, right? But as things got more and more complicated and there wasn't an easy um, solution to explain everything, it got very difficult and so that now only specialists really know the cutting edge and it's stranger than science fiction. It's like freaking out there. It's insane. Mm -hmm. um, the, the type of stuff that we even knew 50 years ago. Um, and uh, I think that there's, um, there's a deep connection between the really and tiny small things inside of us uh, that are connected to the universe as a whole. And that goes a long ways to the cosmic ohm of like hinduism as well the feeling that we are all a part of the divinity that we're all part we have this particles of space dust you know that um all make up something and um i just it's the illusion i have no idea I, that's all i can say i have no idea what's true or not and i'm like willing to just like be okay with that because i think there's certain things i will never understand you know